Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block today, hosted by our full complement, plus one, our honored guest and hopefully regular contributor, Daniel Jupp, all the way from the uh, UK. Um, so good afternoon, everybody. Before we start, I just wanna mention in the area of books, our fearless leader, Alu Axelman, published last night, I believe, and it's now available on Amazon, his book called Taxation is Theft, How Politicians Force Us to Fund Our Own Abuse and What We Can Do About It. Since I myself edited it, I think it's a darn good book, um, quite eye-opening with lots and lots of footnotes. Some people find taxation is theft to be inflammatory. Um, I find it to just be true. Also, his other book, Presumed Guilty, How D.C. Politicians Destroyed Due Process, whose foreword was written by our very own esteemed Ed Maslish. And then I definitely want to mention the book written by Daniel Jupp, who is with us today, called A Gift for Treason, The Cultural Marxist Assault on Western Civilization. If you haven't read it, the minute you stop listening to our show, when it is over, go out and get it and read it. It is an absolutely fantastic read and a great education. With that, again, once again, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Hey, everybody. Hello. Gina, I'm going to start like I did last week. I wasn't here last week. Don't that's you throw, a, don't you throw me for a loop. <laughs> don't do yeah, it. That's the great part about Zoom is it's really hard to throw people for a loop, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, biggest story of the week, Gina. Oh gosh, biggest you get, you get to be put on the spot this time. I know, and I'm having a brain fart as he's asking me that. Um, I would say the bridge um, connecting Crimea and everything that's happening in Russia and Ukraine right now. Um, Russia has arrested eight people um, in regards to that. A couple of Ukrainians, a couple of Russians, and a couple of Armenians, or Armenians, I'm sorry. So that is something that I have been watching. And I think that may be the biggest story of the week. In which way? In which way? Um, because it's just propelling us farther towards World War III. In my in my mind's eye, that's where I see this going. Um, I just see it escalating things dramatically. I see Russia. Um, I'll just say escalating. They're going to escalate because of this. It was a fantastic podcast last week, which was on Friday instead of Wednesday, called the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. And we got a really good uh, explanation of tactical nukes mm. and what possible damage could be done by the Russians. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. But it's definitely a super, super big story. Um, Daniel, since you're the closest one to there, what are your thoughts? How bad is that going to make it? Um, it? It's definitely an escalation, isn't it? Because, um, you know, it's a, it's a main route into Ukraine for the Russians, obviously. Um, it's an attack that could have had civilian casualties. Um, and uh, I mean, I was reading today, um, just today, the way the press framed this, um, there's an article in the Mirror newspaper in the UK, and they contrasted the bridge attack with uh, Russia's retaliation, which obviously has been drone strikes and missile strikes on um, Ukrainian cities. And... Um, it's it's really bizarre because you read the mainstream media and it's the brave, noble 
Ukrainian attack on the bridge, which was uh, wonderful, uh, followed immediately by the cowardly, awful, dastardly Russian attack on cities. And, um, you know, it's two sides of a war. It's it's not that that one type of missile is love and peace and the other type of missile is is uh, is evil. That You know, they both have the same potential to harm innocent people. Um, and it seems that the West has, has taken so much of a one-sided view of this that you can't access anything rational about it anymore in, in the mainstream. So you're not bothered by the bombing of actual civilian buildings as much as a bridge? Um, no, obviously, uh, you know, nobody wants this war to be ongoing, but it, the West have, have extended it. Um, you know, there were, there were peaks peace plans back in March, apparently, that, that uh, Western leaders helped to scupper. So, um, you know, and advised the Ukrainians not to take. Um, so we've extended this war and, and we have partial responsibility for civilian casualties resulting from that, in my view. Ooh, that's right. some, some people do want the war to extend. I mean, you started off by saying nobody wants this war to extend. There are definitely people that want it to extend. And it, it I think it's the Biden administration and a lot of Western governments are using this war as a proxy for something else. We don't fully know yet what it is, but. Um, well, it was, I mean, it came out the other day, didn't it? That in, um, you know, 2016, the U.S. delegation to Ukraine uh, in, in involving people like Senator McCain um, was, was pressing the Ukrainians to start a war in 2016. So, you know, that, that's, you know, new information that came out just the other day. I didn't see that one. Mm -mm. Yeah, I didn't see that either. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's, uh, I mean, uh, um, I didn't have the, the full details, but I read a couple of articles on it. And, um, you know, there was a U.S. delegation in that year and uh, transcripts have emerged where they were effectively promising a war to the Ukrainians. Over Donbass? Yes over Donbass. Because there was kind of like a low-grade war going on in Donbass just with a sort of a ceasefire. Yeah, I mean, at that stage, there was, you know, there was already Ukrainian shelling of Donbass, in, you know, which had been ongoing from 2014. Um, and, you know, in, in the West, we're told, if, if you know that or if you say that, then you're spreading Russian propaganda, but it, it's factually accurate. Okay. Any other Ukrainian comments? No, I mean, I think at this point it's become a powder keg, right? At any given moment, something really crazy could happen that makes this thing totally ignite. And that, that's the real concern. At this Belarus point. said I they think... made their thinking adjoining, supposedly, although I don't know mm -hmm. if that matters. I think calling it a powder keg makes it sound like it's more innocent than it is. Like as if, if it blows up, it's just going to be some accidental spark. And I don't think that's the case. I think that it's a, it, it's all intentional. And I think that they're sowing chaos in order to do whatever it is that they want to do. Well, sometimes things happen when, when you're in a war situation that you don't anticipate, you know, even if you think you're orchestrating it, you're not necessarily controlling everything. So they're playing with fire. 
of the point. For sure. There's a there's an inherent contradiction in it, isn't there? Because at one and the same time, we're told that um, Putin is a madman and is a lunatic bent on world conquest. Uh, and at the same time, we're told, uh, don't worry about any nuclear threats he makes. Um, you know, that let's carry on with his policy uh, of intervening. Um, and the, the two things don't logically go together at all. Well, they do go together if the goal of the Western governments and the Biden administration is to provoke him into an attack and to fight a larger war. Sadly, that yes, I think that's the case. And, um, you know, it, it looks more and more like either they are uh, supremely confident that Putin won't carry out any of the nuclear threats or they don't care. So, you know, I spoke about your book a few minutes ago, Daniel, and the way you lay it out, it's cultural Marxism against the world and the idea is to create such chaos and destruction of the Western world. That kind of fits in with the way Ed Maslisch is looking at it, that whether we think we could, quote, win a war or not, winning a war would be having America as we know it destroyed. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, WEF Great Reset aims um, are along those lines. If you take everything that they mm. suggested literally, then, you know, to get your Great Reset, you need a great destruction beforehand. And I think that's what their aim is, great destruction. And they're doing it on the military side and they're doing it on the economic side. I mean, you're, you're in Great Britain and the Bank of England is, you know, is also one of the big stories of the week, I think, that, you know, they're going to stop, you know, they're going to stop their, their QE on Friday. And, you know, we don't know how the, how the British bond market is going to respond to that. The British pound might be in trouble after Friday. We don't know. I mean, it was in trouble at, you know, a week and a half ago when they intervened in the market in the first place. So it's, it's, um, I mean, you have to think it's either, um, the most extreme recklessness we've ever seen from uh, Western governments, or as you say, it's, it's deliberately wanting destruction. Um, you know, but, um, I mean, there is a possibility as well that they they thought that they could manage to, uh, you know, get a managed level of destruction to um, give an excuse for the Great Reset, and it's got out of their control. That's a possibility as well, I suppose. Ed P, any learned comments? Uh, you know, I, I take a somewhat... Uh, different view, which I, apparently a, a dog is a, disagreeing with me. Um, you know, war, wars have a, a life of their own once they're started. And, uh, and I, I certainly think that, um, I, th I think that the governments of the West wanted a crisis um, to replace the crisis that's going, that, that's sort of going away in COVID. And, and this is, this is a great crisis. Um, they, they certainly want to destroy um, any institution, any private institution that's standing between them and sort of global governance. And, uh, you know, whether it's the, whether it's the cultural Marxist stuff, which is, you know, mainly against, uh, you know, the family and civil, civil institutions, um, 
or sort of the globalist against nation states and national uh, decision making. And uh, I think, um, you know, I think Putin and Xi are are outside of that. They are both nationalists and they both want what they think is best for the country, which includes um, political control and domination of, of their neighbors. And uh, I don't necessarily know whether that's um, you know, good or bad. I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I, I tend to think people should lead, mind their own business. Um, but you know, we we look at you know if if the Chinese had a public government in Mexico, what would we do? Um, and so you sort of understand um, Putin's motivation, sort of. The um, the issue I have is that he's been such a <laughs> such an incompetent slash evil monster in the way he's gone about attacking uh, Ukraine that it, it it's it, you know he's he's basically lost his strategic goals. He wanted a friendly government in Ukraine. He wanted Ukraine disarmed. He wanted NATO not to expand. Well, he's lost every single one of those because there is absolutely nothing he can do now that will conquer Ukraine, and uh, whether he can hold on to the you know the the four oblasts that he um, that he has uh, uh, officially annexed. I, I don't know, but you know, from a strategic standpoint, he he's basically lost the war. So I guess he's just going to readjust his war aims. Um, but the problem is, you know, on February twenty fourth or twenty fifth, we all said, hey, we we got to figure out a way to get this to stop and go back to the status quo ante and. And I, there's no one in Ukraine who wants the status quo. Um, there's no one, not a single person. So the idea that you know Elon Musk should propose that as a solution, um, I mean, it's 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 ludicrous. There's been too much, not so much military victories. People feel bad when you know their friends or family or whatever soldiers and are killed in war, obviously. But there's been so much. Uh, wanton, deliberate murder of um, Ukrainian civilians that there's no going back to this. You know, the, the war may stall out at some point, but um, there's no there's no negotiated peace that's that's possible anymore between. I, I can't see there ever be. There's never going to be peace at this point, because when you look around the globe, wherever there are disputed lands, obviously in in you know, Israel and Pal Palestine, whatever, um, even yeah. Indian India and Pakistan, the, the fighting goes on forever. <laughs> it never ends. You know, the weird thing is, is people, you know, without like, without like foreign involvement, and I don't mean just giving the Ukrainians weapon, I mean, you know, actually the United States, you know, military getting involved. Um, these, these border wars tend to stall out at more or less the appropriate borders because people will fight to regain you know their their territory but they really won't fight very hard to to like gain other people's territory um I, I, unless you know there's this huge provocation and the murder of civilians is one of them and, and i see this in iraq right you know because the kurds kurds aren't going to go invade 
you know, Western Iraq or, or, or the Shiite parts, even if the United States asked them to. And the Syrian Kurds are not going to, uh, you know, fight ISIS over non-Kurdish territory. They're just not, you know, they don't care. They want their territory and they'll fight to the death to defend it. And, and so the line is kind of drawn and like, what, what do people care about? And I think the line is I, going to eventually be drawn in Ukraine, uh, uh, you know, what are each side willing to fight for? And, uh, I, I, I this, you know, if that looks like the status quo, ante, I, I, it may, but I, I don't think so. I think there's another way to look at it, another possibility. I think that wars don't have to drag on, even wars over territory like that, if one side is able to get total victory. You know, just this week we celebrated yeah, and I, Day, and you know, and I think no, no I think we've fighting. seen that. I think we've seen that that's not going to happen, right? Well, but and that's where um, I was, so. but that's part of where I was going. I mean, the reason it's not happening is because the U.S. is meddling in it. And, and I hate to sound like a like one of the libertarian anarchists that we sometimes have on our show, but uh, you know, it's the same thing Ouch. in the Middle East. If if the Israelis, the the only reason Israel hasn't just destroyed the Palestinians is because the United States is telling them you better not do it, or we're going to stop supporting you. The Israelis could could win that war and could impose a solution, but the United States says no. Likewise, in Ukraine, the U.S. keeps funding the Ukrainians with just enough to keep the killing going. I mean, they're not. We're not going to send. Yeah, them- I, I don't necessarily. I, I don't necessarily think that's true. There's just no way. If you just look at the numbers, there's just no way Russia could have uh, taken over Ukraine. Uh, their their ambitions uh, far outstripped their number of of troops. Um, certainly, if the uh, U.S. weren't sending money and material to to Ukrainians, you think that the Russians couldn't have conquered it? That, yeah, because the U.S. didn't send. Uh, uh, money and, and forces in it um, when the catastrophic uh, uh, invasion in northern Ukraine to try and take Kiev, um, they were going on their own, you know, their own, you know, their their own tanks and and stuff. It was only until it was only after the the Russians gave up on the Kiev thing that you know that large amounts of Western material started uh, flowing into Ukraine, mainly because U- Ukraine started to run out of its own. Um, but, you know, the Russians have lost, you know, an incredible amount of material. Um, and, you know, it's, it's you know, if they, they fought for 10 years, at full mobilization, both sides, if both sides were full mobilization for 10, I don't know. I don't even think they could do it then. I think it's a, you get the Vietnam effect. It's just the Ukrainians hate the Russians. They're not just not going to let them take over. I mean, they may take over some parts, but. You know, I mean, how, how many U.S. troops would it take, like, occupy Los Angeles? And we were just talking with uh, Kurt Schlichter, who was in the L.A. riots. And he was like, yeah, 40,000, 50,000, 100,000. I mean, you, you know, you have to troops on every corner. It, it's just if the if the population is hostile um, and it, you just the entire U.S. Army, which is like a million, um, you know, couldn't occupy California. So I, I don't know. I mean, what if, if the people want to fight, the war isn't going to be over. The wars only end when, you know, and I think that's what the Russians are doing with murdering all these civilians. They think that um, murdering a bunch of civilians is going to, uh, is going to get the Ukrainians to change their mind. And certainly didn't change the British mind when the blitz was going on. And certainly didn't change the German mind when, the U.S. and Britain um, 
terror bombed uh, Britain uh, later in the war. I mean, they fought to the absolute end. So I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see a victory in this, um, but I don't see a peace either. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the article I, I read in the mirror mentioned, um, uh, you know, the Blitz and the spirit of the Blitz and, and those comparisons have been made with Ukraine before. Um, but, um, I mean, when Dresden was, was carpet bombed, that's hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 there's not really any rational comparison because... Um, you know, Russia hasn't carpet bombed Ukraine, has it? Um, doesn't and, have the capability. Well, whether it's capability or whether it's inclination, it, it's not happened. Um, you know, I, I think the reports of the deaths from the from the wave of attacks in retaliation to um, the, the bridge attack was fourteen deaths. Um, you know, one suicide <laughs> bomber is doing the same amount as that. I heard there were much more because there was an apartment building hit. I, and the weird thing is like whether the interesting thing is why did a bomb land in like a, a playground and why did the, you know, apartment building hit, you know, was it because the uh, cruise missiles were partially intercepted by anti-missile missiles, but the, things didn't detonate. So when the thing fell out of the sky, it just fell and, and detonated wherever it was. Or, or you know, were they aimed there? I, I don't know any, I mean, I don't know why anybody would aim at a, at a playground. That, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Assuming they aim. All right, can we move off of Ukraine? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, Gina, since I can't stand you relaxing. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what's your opinion on PayPal? On PayPal, oh man, I don't like using PayPal to begin with. Um, I rarely ever use it. So when they threatened to take my, my $2,500 that I don't have, I just kind of laughed, number one. Um, oh my gosh, the overreach that these companies are doing. And I just hope this is the push for all of these state attorney generals to finally go after these tech companies and these platforms. I mean, that's just ridiculous that... I could say something and they take the money that I have in my account because I use that for my business. It's absolutely ridiculous. Of course, we agree with we agree to it with the EULAs, don't we? No, because I'll tell you what, Stephen, under contract law, courts don't enforce penalties in contracts. You can't put a penalty into a contract. And they've tried to dress it up as liquidated damages, which is how penalties are often tried to be how you try and hide penalties. But the reality is the liquidated damages bears no relationship whatsoever to any damage whatsoever to PayPal for the violation that they're claiming. I mean, if you commit some violation of their terms of service, PayPal still has to show that its damages approximate $2,500 or that $2,500 is a real, is a good faith estimate of their real damages. Okay. Let I me ask you, let me ask you a legal question then. I agree to mow your lawn and you agree to pay me X amount of dollars if I mow your lawn. You're also afraid that I may destroy your lawn. So as collateral, I deposit $1,000 with you and say, if I destroy the lawn, you can keep it. And we put that in a contract. You're saying you can't keep the $1,000 if I destroy your lawn? 
if your lawn, if it's if a thousand dollars is a reasonable estimate of what your value of your lawn is, then yes, you might be able. So you can to contract that. damages. Damages, yes. Penalties, no. Damages that, are necessarily related to the actual value of what's that, been harmed. That's a service you're well, providing. One of the different. One of the things I think we need to uh, remember is uh, there's this guy, a uh, libertarian uh, named Eric July. I don't know whether you. Uh, uh, have ever heard of him, a young Ripa 59. And uh, he created a, a new comic book, uh, supposed to be you know original, and, and I, I bought it, but it hasn't gotten here yet. Um, and he collected like $3.5 million in this you know campaign, and about a million two was in PayPal, was the mechanism of payment. And at some point, uh, and I have no idea what the, you know, he got, he got banned from various social medias and PayPal refused to cash out his $1.2 million. They just, they just refused. Well, that's the same yeah, thing you they did to the truck drivers up in Canada. That's, that's nothing new. It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And um, obviously uh, Eric was very unhappy as a YouTube channel. He, ta he talked about it. Um, and, uh, you know, he had to get lawyers involved and that cost him probably tens of thousands of dollars. Now, luckily he had some income because he did so well on this campaign. Um, so the question is, okay, I say something politically incorrect and they take my $2,500. Um, what, what, what is my recourse? I, I've, never, I've, never, I've never seen a lawyer in my life and I've dealt with them a few times that doesn't want like at least five grand up front. So, I mean, what, what do you do? There's nothing well, you can do. I'll give they you just two possibilities. I mean, it's illegal, but they just take it. The two possibilities are a class action lawsuit or no, actions, they do, they, or or an action by the attorney general for unfair business practice. Right. Right. We've gone through this before, you and I. Ed. I, 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 they are, they absolutely forbid in their terms of service a class action lawsuit, and they mandate arbitration. And I found out how unfair. The arbitration is um, because the arbitrator just you know uh, doesn't you know doesn't listen unless you have a really clever lawyer. Um, Lauren tried Lauren Southern tried arbitration against PayPal or no against Patreon, um, and the arbitrator ruled that he it, that she was a um, he wasn't a consumer of Patreon service and therefore uh, the rule in arbitration that consumers only pay $250 uh, was, I mean, that's just totally wrong. But the weird thing about arbitration is not only, um, there's no appeal at all. The arbitrator just ruled that and that, that's it, she lost. You know, either that or put up $100,000 to fight. But, but that's a place for the attorneys general to step in though. I mean, there's, there's no reason why- What attorney general? I mean, that no attorney general gives a damn about like the abuses Patreon has, has done. You know, PayPal's a bank, so there might be regulatory, but you think that the, you know, um, the Biden administration, you know, the, who, who regulates banks? Well, I'm not the talking Fed? about the Biden I mean, administration, but a state attorney general can still bring suit. Exactly. And that's, that's what needs to happen. And that's why we need a parallel economy. And you hear everybody mentioning that. And this is just another another proof positive that that's what we do need. Well, let me ask well, the we question in reverse. It. Is this going to expedite the parallel economy? Now, PayPal supposedly immediately reversed when they got caught. 
But then people are saying they reversed on the misinformation. They didn't reverse on intolerance and hate. And so is this maybe good for the cause that people who were sitting on the fence are going to say, no way. Now, I use PayPal once in a while, but they don't have any of my money and they're for sure not getting any of it. So maybe this is a good thing in that sense. Well, yeah, it just exposes them. I mean, it's it's great. And it turns people away from them. And that's less less that's being processed through them and held by them. So that's great. They, it they is. Will, it, by it, this level it, of overreach, they will push people towards setting up alternatives. The The question is, do we have enough powerful backers to, to make those alternatives uh, quick and realistic? Well, that's the problem. We're starting to be squeezed like in Star Wars when they're in the... Uh... And the sewer and the walls are closing in because, you know, one thing we haven't talked about a lot is, is the ESG scores that are mm. starting to happen. And that's that's the totalitarian's wet dream is to impose well, that. that on us. And, they're, and, they're, and they're I mean, look, I mean, this is what they're trying to do. And they're going to regulate everything we well, but that's they, what is they it? do and think and, and they're going to penalize us. For is it. there not 13 state attorney generals that are going against that right now? DSG, yeah. And they're going yeah, to lose, I mean, probably. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think they're going to lose in federal court. Um, but, you know, they might they might win. Um, but the you know, judge is likely to say, well, you know, you don't have to use Vanguard or BlackRock. You can use somebody else. Oh, who very interesting use. development. Louisiana and I see one other state is now starting to pull money away from BlackRock. Away from BlackRock. Right? And that is a very interesting yeah. way of. Wasn't Florida that. the other one? I, I'm sorry? Wasn't Florida the other one? Or I don't was Florida remember. just threatening? The big part was Louisiana. And I would assume that if you got 10 states to do that, that would make a difference. That's oh, yeah. what, what uh, Bongino calls, you know, material pain. And maybe if. AGs can't do anything, maybe that can do something. I mean, I hope so. I don't think so, but I hope so. I mean, how much money would it take for BlackRock to get the message? They'd All have to sell. They, they'd have to sell their positions, which and, and which would drive the market down. I mean, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure that there's anything to this at all. Well, they, I, mean, I could be wrong. Are. They could say, I'm not going to buy more and we'll use somebody else. I think there's they, this, I thought they saying they are divesting. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I if 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 they are good for them, that's great. But it's it. Uh, how do they do that and maintain their fiduciary responsibility or shareholders? Well, well, we had that discussion last week in the opposite direction, and nobody really had a problem with states doing that, with states only investing, you know, liberally. So. If it's I, well, I think I think investing with ESG is is definitely not in the best interest of the shareholders. But there's a difference between that and just selling tomorrow. So I, I think if they're going to pull out, it would have to be over a multi-year, you know, multi-year period, which wouldn't hurt the Vanguards and the Black Rocks. I mean, Vanguard. I don't mean why Vanguard has an ESG score. They, the only point you'd invest in Vanguard is because they do index funds. They do very very inexpensive index funds, and so then you go to like, okay, who, who does Standards and Poor's put in the S&P 500? Because that the, all the index funds are buying that or the Dow Jones Industrial or the NASDAQ or something like that, you know? So it's, uh, I don't know. They're supposed to track indices though. So, you know, who puts people on the mid cap index or the, you know, international index? 
Um, and it, you know, nobody buys Vanguard's managed funds. That's not the point of Vanguard. Vanguard was invented solely to attract the market. That was uh, John Boggles, who would be, who just died, by the way, a couple of years ago. He, he would be appalled at any of this because his philosophy yeah. was like, back to can't the, uh, the market. You know, the class action thing, um, most of us who have been involved in class action lawsuits, there's actually a check sitting on my dresser at home that my wife refuses to cash. And I think it's from class action for 17 cents. And, <laughs> you know, class action suits usually goes back like $5 if we sign yeah. all the forms. Listen, I got something back a few months ago and I thought it was a scam. It was almost $700. I was so excited. Yeah, I got I got a thousand dollars from a class action suit. Policy. That's nothing uh, compared to twenty five. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I sign up for all those class action suits, and I did win the lottery once when I it was uh, I don't know it had something to do with Safeway um, delivery, mm -hmm. um, and it, you know we ended up getting a thousand bucks. I'm like, damn, that was useful. Yeah, I didn't. But even yeah, sign you get you get five here and six there and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't even sign up. It was a total surprise. It was great. So, I mean, who's following the um, alternatives? Are there good PayPal alternatives? Or I guess PayPal does different types of things and you need an alternative for each one. There is something called Parallel Economy, which Contemple is uh, promoting. I don't know who's behind it, though. Is that the one that Bongino's part of? I mean, he yeah. promotes it. Yeah. And are they doing everything PayPal does? More or less. So uh, that's what I we mean, there's, you know, I there think... are people. We've got people locally, actually, over uh, maybe 30 minutes from here, and uh, they have their own stores, storefronts and everything there. And anyway, they are getting into doing the same exact thing that Bongino has started, and they are starting a processing system. You know, they started with the car business and doing different things, and now they're getting into that also. So there are people that are trying, you know, and if I know somebody locally that's trying to get into it, I'm sure there's people all across the, the U.S., the issue is a lot of this uh, wokeness is coming down from, uh, in particular, MasterCard. Um, the head of MasterCard is is one of the worst defenders um, in pushing both ESG and and sort of you know anybody who doesn't toe the line on hate speech or vaccines or whatever gets canceled. And uh, the only way to go after MasterCard is through the government. There, there's because you everybody has master what are you going to say like yeah you can support us but you can't use mastercard and the mastercard people have like browbeaten the visa people into doing visa is a much better run company um and they aren't as woke but they've been browbeaten in, into doing that too uh like the whole gun purchase thing right it was a, it was the um classifying gun and gun related purchases on as as a different like category so that can be tracked um, by the banks, and then they got uh, hand over the information to the government. That was all MasterCard's idea, and they beat uh, Visa into complying, and I think they beat American Express into complying too. Neither of those companies wanted to do it, but the MasterCard sort of beat them into it. I I don't exactly know, you know, what changed hands or, you know, what arguments were made, but um, but yeah, I mean, the only way to go against that is is through the antitrust laws. Daniel, I'm assuming that in Britain it's the same, the PayPal business? Yes, yeah, it's exactly the same. Um, you know, whatever threat that PayPal is used in the US will be the same in the UK. Um, and, you know, we're, 
we're just as like most Western economies, I would have thought we're just as reliant on the same providers. Uh, and when a bunch of service providers decide that they're politics deciders, um, you're in a very dangerous situation. And that's where we are. And, you know, these things are just going to keep getting worse because they're not having any pushback on it, really effective pushback on it at all. Um, so I think things like, um, you know, what PayPal want to do will extend to other areas. Well, looking at paralleleconomy.com, I mean, is there anything going on in Britain like that? And can't the Brits use this kind of service? Or do they just don't know about it? Um, not that I know. I would say probably uh, uh, generally Brits are less aware of, of these processes than Americans are. You know, you've got quite a, a level of, um, there may be a powerlessness to, to deal with it at the moment, but you've got, you know, there's a potential to deal with it with, um, you know, whether it's attorney generals or whether it's a change of government. Uh, in the UK, most people are fairly apathetic and not even aware of it, I'd say. Like um, when Count, Doc, Count Dankula got um, arrested and eventually fined 800 pounds for um you know, the video where his pug uh, saluted in a style not to the liking of um, the censors. Um, what was the reaction of the British public? Like they thought, oh, well, that's probably okay. I'd say, I mean, or I, I, I personally attended a, a free speech rally that he spoke at. And, you know, there were a couple of 100 people there. Um, but... The, the, the reaction of 99% of the British public was they didn't know who he was and they didn't care um, because most of what people know is mediated by the mainstream media. And, um, yeah. you know, that's that's the problem. Right. It, it I, does I, I seem... Mean, that... I'd say that we are in a... We are in a um, America's in a worse position because some of the sources of the problems happening are in your own nation. But we're in a worse position because we will copy those things and we will have companies doing the exact same things. And there's much less aware resistance in the UK. Yeah, it does seem like the um, people in the United Kingdom are much more rule followers and like, oh, the government says I got to stay home, so I'll stay home for the next two years. Um, whereas in the United States, like that didn't happen at all. I so mean, a I lot think, of people stayed home, but a lot of people didn't. Yet France had its yellow jackets, and in a way, they were ahead of America in certain types of protests. Yeah, the, the French did, um, but it's it, these things do follow cultural patterns and. And um, when we protest, we, we do it in an orderly fashion. You queue up. Were there any types of protests, Daniel, over the, the gas issues? I guess you, I don't know what else to call them, but then regulating the gas no. over in France? Uh, well, in, in, uh, in France, it's huge protests, you know, and the whole Yellow Jacket movement sort of uh, went on for, you know, a year and a half. Well, I'm talking about recent, recently when the police, the gas police, were not letting people fill up their vehicles. Was there anything that came out of that? Or people um, just take it there? Okay. Yeah, not that I've seen, um, but I'd be very surprised if, 
if there aren't ongoing protests in France that, that aren't being reported. Because, mm -hmm. you know, again, the media decides not to report this stuff. We've had, you know, quite significant protest um, developments throughout Europe that, that our media don't really report on at all. Um, you know, and we had that in Italy, for example, which wasn't reported. Um, but in, in the UK, um, when the COVID rules came in, there's, there's a lot of um, silent resistance where, you know, British people are not getting out on the streets and rioting, but they will go around each other's houses when they're told not to. And, and you know, that kind of quiet resistance is much more common. They're not such rabble rousers. Yeah, I mean, I mean we've got that, but that tends to be our, our kind of left-wing element, really. And, you know, our, our, version, our Antifa um, and groups like that. So, you know... Unless they're at a we, soccer game. Yeah, well, we have riots when a, when a statue's... Football! Because, Football! Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, even that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, pretty much a thing of the past, really, because... Um, you know, the, we, we don't have football riots regularly or anything like that, as you get in Eastern Europe still. Brave New World. The, um, what was I going to say? The uh, UK environmental protesters today are doing things like cementing their hands to the road and gluing their hands to That's so um, productive. painting. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it seems like people just like accept that. I think in the United States, uh, there would be more, uh, it, I, I'll tell you what, you know, you may riot over soccer games and, you know, and in the United States, there are riots over pretty much everything, but, um, the one thing that would tick everybody off is somebody laying down in traffic. I mean, I, I, I would not put <laughs> the life expectancy of someone lying down in traffic uh, very, very we, high. We had, we, ha we had a lot of patience for, for it to an extent. And then, uh, then it turned and people got fed up with it. And you did get cases of, um, you know, people just marching up and dragging them out of the way and then getting back in their vehicles and driving. Um, you know, so we've had that happen because basically mm -hmm. these people pushed it too far and inconvenienced too many ordinary people. Well, I, you know, what, talking about people laying in the middle of the road. So I'm assuming you guys have seen the story about the gentleman that was hit by the semi up there in New York laying under the semi truck and he's dead under the semi truck. And it ended up being a woman that went up and pickpocketed this dead gentleman under there. And uh, did you guys hear that? Yeah, I, I'm not going to ask you to define a woman, but please be careful. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, it was on all the hey, security we're, we're and surveillance now. cameras, you know. But this lady, which they're looking for her now, but I think it said she had 52 prior on her record. And I was just, why are these people on the street? Then you've got the shooting outside of Zeldin's home. I mean, New York, is it a lost New York cause? is totally, totally. Is it a lost cause? Yeah. There are people out there with like a hundred arrests who are being arrested. Oh yeah. Well, they had said a while ago, it's like 13% or no, I'm sorry. 30% of the crimes committed are by the ones that they've just let out. It's the same reoccurring people over. And the reason and over they're letting them out is the same reason you had 
fights between the communists and the brown shirts in Weimar, Germany from 1930 to 33. It's to sow chaos and create chaos in the streets and make people fed up with what's going on and demand some strong central authority deal with it. So do you think that chaos will be enough, though, to get Zeldin in there? I don't think it's being done by the Zeldin people. I think no, no, no. I'm saying, do you think that's going to be enough for New Yorkers to see all this crap that's happening to get Kathy Hochul out of there? Believe it when we see it. I'm a little more hopeful for New York just because there's so much of New York that's not New York City, Albany, Buffalo, and and Rochester and and, and Syracuse. Uh, There's a lot to the state that's not the big cities, but the big cities, I don't think they're, they're salvageable. I think they're they're lost. Right. I think, you know, instead of uh, Hako winning by 80 to 2, she'll win by 78 to 4 or something in the big cities. I, I can't stop laughing about Adams, who's just apoplectic about these immigrants who are being transferred to New York City. He's declaring a state of emergency. And, and he made that speech the other day. We didn't plan this. We didn't ask for this. This is ridiculous. Texas asked for it. This they asked. Again, having read Daniel's book, I kind of get it, the double standard here. But how aren't people embarrassed to say that? When, because they're all repeating because they're all repeating it. So it's OK, because Kamala Harris said the exact same thing. Wait the a minute. Kamala Harris said something coherent. When did I miss this? <laughs> I don't know. She did an interview a day ago, but it didn't last long because then it went back to, well, they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the climate change that's happening. So it, oh, okay. it, it was a real quick thing, but it's those same talking points that every single one of them say the same thing. Lori Lightfoot said the same thing. We weren't prepared. We weren't expecting this. How are we going to take this influx? You know, what the heck did Eagle Pass do? What did McAllen do or Brownsville do? You know, and now where are they sending them? Long Island? We should just tell them you're a sanctuary city and every human is legal in your city. So no no human is illegal. Yeah, you should have been prepared for it when you opened yourself as a sanctuary city. Poor preparation, Adams. Poor preparation. Again, in this uh, sanctuary, sanctuary city. This, so. Sanctuary city means, you know, and this has revealed this. Sanctuary city means I want places that vote Republican flooded. It doesn't mean I want my place <laughs> flooded. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Not in my backyard. But it, it is again. They'd be embarrassed in a sane world to say this, and they'd be laughed off the stage in the sane world for saying this mm-hmm. and yet i don't think the media goes after them very hard so. i think the problem isn't that the media doesn't go after them hard it's that the republicans don't go after them hard this is low-hanging fruit this would be easy for a a vigorous vibrant opposition party to annihilate the the democrats over this but the republicans enforcing, are annihilating them enforcing criminal laws uh is racist and causes mass incarceration, both of which now are supposed to be evil, even including President Trump got on that uh, got on that train. So if you're not willing to, I guess we're not on YouTube, if we're not willing to, you know, admit the fact that most violent crime is is committed by, uh, you know, young black men, um, if you're not allowed to say that and uh, therefore, you know, getting rid of violent criminals means imprisoning a ton of young black men and that's okay um well but they're gonna let them all out now they're they're letting them all out now because the ones that are in there for possession you know they're 
they can just go home. They're good. Their slate's been wiped clean, yeah, which all I, those I think, are charges that have been I dropped think it's down. Still, it's all part and parcel of what Ed's theory is on why the Ukraine war is happening. Um, it's all the same element. They're, these are globalist totalitarians who want the chaos. Yep. So they, these are Soros uh, uh, prosecutors, either not prosecuting or letting these people out of prison. And it, it's all aimed right at us. You know, Trump was um, softer on letting people out of jail in a certain sense, but he was very hard on immigration, supposedly. So I'm not sure those two issues. Softer on crime in a sense. Trump was all for prison reform and letting the letting the prisoners out. He touted that that was one of his social justice. Criminal justice. Criminal yeah, justice. criminal justice. Reason. Does anybody know why he did that? Was that Jared? Uh, maybe it's because he met with Con with Kanye. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was it was Kanye and Kim. Absolutely, hundred percent. It was Kim. Yeah, and he 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 wanted. Trump has always been a champion of. I mean, I, I under, let's ignore the propaganda. Trump has always been a champion of. Um, you know, the uh, minorities in New York, you know, giving them jobs, um, prevent, you know, his, his clubs are always open to minorities. He, 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 won, a number, he, he won a number of awards from the, the black community for being such a good friend. I, I, I mean, that's just legitimately what he did. I, I don't think he was pandering then. And I don't think he was pandering. And they came in and said, there's all these poor black men in jail for nothing but weed and uh you know small time drug offenses and can you do something about it and, and of course that that's both true and false right it's true there are people in jail for small time drug offenses and and the false thing is because they've pled down from something serious like murdering other people you know and so then they created this you know first step act and um it had you know went through congress and signed by the president and it was supposed to take, you know, people who were convicted of small time drug offenses and, and take them out. But apparently it, it was a loophole that you could drive a truck truck through and they they're they're letting out murderers, the actual murderers who go on to commit more murders. So I don't know how like um, I've sold, you know, twenty dollars a weed to my friend and get arrested and put in jail. Um you know, transformed into actually letting out murders under this law that was supposed to be for the small time criminal, but that's actually what's happening. And, and, and I, you know, he was sold a bill of goods, but I think his heart was kind of in that area to begin with. It's amazing the way um, all of that was forgotten though, isn't it? It's, the, it's that you instantly transform from champion of the minority to to um, vile racist white supremacist uh, because you'll know. Don't longer forget anti Semite whose daughter married a Jew. So, yes. Oh, all yeah. of his kids married. <laughs> Some of them, anyway. So, yeah, what, yeah. so what, about, what about Kanye West? You know, he just had all these anti Semitic comments that he just made. Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here, right? Um, it is the truth that, um, you know, the, the music industry and the TV industry has a disproportionate amount of Jewish leadership in it. I mean, that that's just true. Um, and so if if Kanye said something like, um, 
you know, so, uh, Jews control the media. Um, and then everybody said that's a ridiculous trope and that nobody believes it and it's totally anti-Semitic. And then uh, the next day, Jewish leaders come out to say he should be canceled from social media and, and then he's canceled from social media. I mean, I, there's absolutely no, there's absolutely no self-awareness in, in this. And, and that's kind of what kind of what happened. You know, the ADL is a very, very um, powerful organization. And when they... Don't you, don't you think it's astonishing how, I mean, this is the Kanye thing was, I, I flipped backwards and forwards on this because uh, initially I said, when Kanye was coming out and was saying um, white lives matter, uh, that was great for me, you know, because I'm sick of seeing so much anti-white racism. Um, and, um, you know, so he said that and I was like, this is great. And lots of my friends were saying things like, well, he's crude, he's uh, stupid, he's, we don't want to endorse celebrity culture. And, and I said, how can anyone be so stupid that they reject a billionaire or, who's offering a helping hand when we're drowning? You know, he's um, kind of we, crazy, though. I mean, he's kind of a black nationalist. He really thinks black people are in some way fundamentally different than white people. You know, I, he I also said that, blacks are Jews. Yeah, he's yeah, a total right. mess on all of these things. He's, he's a total yeah. mess on all of these but he, he said some things that were good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was a very ableist comment. <laughs> yeah. What's I wrong mean, with I, being bipolar? I, I, yeah, I he, he, is, he, he is weird because he sounds like he sounds like a combination of Malcolm X, a black nationalist type. Um, I mean, I you know, it, he wants like black spaces and black things. Yeah. And I, I understand that there is a cultural difference between, you know, the urban you know, black culture with the rest of us, which includes a lot of middle-class black people around me. Um, but uh, that's sort of a cultural difference. And I, I tend to think he, he really believes there is some like real serious deep difference between black people and white people. And that's yeah. sort of, is very anti-American. Um, it's hard to process a lot of what he's even saying yeah. when, when Tucker interviewed him. You know, part of you is like wanting to cheer because he's off, he's off the plantation, if you will, with the rest of the, you know what I mean? He's gotten off the train. The train. Yeah. But I mean, I think the white lives matter. On the other hand, he's just, just jumped on the crazy train. He's not very cogent. He's not very cogent. He has some very weird thoughts and ideas. He has. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, he, you know, he's he's turned into a very, very uh, unbelieving uh, Christian. Uh, and um, but I, I'm not sure. You know, I and mean, he he's smart about some things, and he's very knowledgeable about some things, and then he's completely unintelligent angles on others. You know, <laughs> yeah. What does it say about our culture that we made him into a billionaire icon? You know, I've never listened to a single thing he's ever produced as far I as was. music. I, no, me neither. I wouldn't I, have. I, if if something, uh, some video. I was, I was this close to him in Newark Airport one time. Oh, really? Whoa. <laughs> With the with the Jewish stuff though, isn't it that, that you know there's there's a lot of black people who who feel that way, uh, and you know Nation of Islam, um, you know that they were Islamic, and, not Jewish. I, I'm a little confused. Yeah, but uh, you know, you, you think these people these people are never smart about it, are they? It's like you know, um, 
if you wanted to criticise uh, the people that specifically are in your industry that are Jewish and you've got legitimate reasons for doing so, you'd say, in my industry, or you'd say, leftist Jews do this. You, would, you don't say all Jews do this. Yeah, of course. That's just stupid. Yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I, you but know, but I, it's, you know, that is a strong cultural influence on him, isn't it? If he's in the ghetto and, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's going to have been I around. I, I don't... Um, you know, I don't know whether you remember this, but back in the day, um, you know, Jesse Jackson was very much um, anti-Jewish uh, in his uh, proclamations in New York City. Obviously, in New York City, uh, there's like, uh, you know, it's 10 million people and there's 2 million Jewish people. So they have an outsized representation in, um, not just because they tend to be smart and educated and whatnot, but, but sheer numbers. They have an outsized uh, influence on the politics of New York. And uh, Jesse Jackson was absolutely not a fan and said so on, on numerous occasions. And he, he kept getting, you know, slapped down a little bit. And he, I think he's learned his lesson uh, since then. But um, it, it, the, the black, the, the Jewish, the leftist Jewish community has done a lot for black civil rights and the black nationalists, the, the community doesn't like Jews at all. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a really weird, it's really weird, you know, kind of relationship between the two. The two. And groups. I also think when when people get red pilled on certain issues, which he obviously has been, you know, interacting with Candace Owens, um, you know, saying how vile the media is, um, you get red pilled on those things that are true. Um, you're also led down, you know, because you're you're rejecting the mainstream and everything it says. Um, you also then uh, can be accessed by the wackier stuff. And, you know, the, the kind of, um, okay, the, the mainstream media is thoroughly corrupt, mainstream banking is thoroughly corrupt, um, you know, the mainstream political parties are thoroughly corrupt. What's the cause? And someone will always come and tap you on the shoulder and say, oh, well, I know the secret, it's Jews. Um, you know. Uh, I just found a great segue to the next story I wanted to discuss because I just saw online that yes, we do control all the mo all the money. Ben Bernanke is Jewish, and <laughs> just won the Nobel Prize. With he did a Nobel Peace Prize. Isn't that yeah. nuts? Oh, no, no, or economics. Econo oh, it? economics prize. Okay. Economics, which economics. proves the Jews control all the world money, which is interesting. But I wanted your reaction to uh, awarding him the Nobel Prize for being what? Is that something giving Obama the Nobel Peace Prize? That's right up there, yeah. I, I, ten, I thought that, um, you know, Bernanke was the head of the Federal Reserve in 2008. And um, I think he's given credit by sort of the mainstream for um, managing that crisis well. I mean, I think we all disagree, but I think sort of the mainstream consensus is that Bernanke handled the crisis well, and and uh, he's certainly handled it well for the banks. <laughs> sure, I mean this is just taking care different. of your own, right? Yeah, but um, but I think the mainstream is like, oh man, we could have had another Great Depression for you know ten years, twenty five percent unemployment, and look, you know things back bounce back in a couple of years, and, and he gets the credit for for. Uh, 
that. I think that's kind of the mainstream view. I, I mean, obviously we all disagree, but um, I think that's why they gave him the prize. Um, but I, he's supposed to get the prize not for what he's done as like Fed chair, but for like his 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 research. And I don't know anything about his research, but I assume it has to do with bailing out banks. Okay, talking about banks, and so they said today, so the numbers went up again, so they let out all the numbers again. So they have said, I think it was Bank of America for the 2023 unemployment outlook that we're supposed to lose 175,000 jobs per month. That is the new outlook for 2023. Yeah. And that's well, bad, but it's not that bad because they, you know, if you look at the 2008 crash, it's you know, there was like months where we lost five, 600,000 jobs. So I think they're still projecting on the low side of what this recession is going to be. Wait, Biden said not. there's not going to be one. And if there is, yeah. it's going to be teensy, tiny. Yeah, if he told Tapper, that means it's the truth. Not, not well, according to Jamie Dimon came out and said otherwise, pretty much. Yeah, what's with Jamie Dimon? Isn't he a committed Democrat? And he's saying all these things, these red-pilled kind of things. Uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, by the way, uh, you know, I own stock in J.P. Morgan. Um, Jamie Dimon is is really one of the best of the investment uh, bank uh, presidents. I, I really have an enormous amount of respect for the guy as far as his uh, his um, ability to run that company and to hire a good people. And I think he's not um, obviously he's a Democrat, he's a New York guy. Right. But. Uh, New York banker, but I mean, I, I think he's really smart and I don't, I think he's a very good, um, he's a very good uh, chairman and CEO of JP Morgan. I, I think he's- I know he's Chase has debanked some normal people. They're not exactly innocent here. Um, I, you know, I've never met anybody who's going to refuse a handout, much less a banker, but uh, he's, he's better than most. I mean, he's just come out lately with some good statements, but I know that Chase has debanked people on the right, which does not speak well. And I think all the super big ones have. Which is yeah, which is unfortunate because I have all these Chase credit cards, but what, what can you do when you're in, you're in. And yeah, I meant to thank hard. you for those, by the way. I've been using them and they're really nice. <laughs> we talked, you know, Gina, you, you mentioned the 175,000 projected unemployment mm -hmm. and you weren't here the last couple of shows, but. Uh, one of our recent shows, we talked about how uh, the Phillips curve has reached its end. And I don't mean to use economics jargon, but the Phillips curve is an economics. It's a graph that graphs inflation versus unemployment. And mm -hmm. the economics profession has been an adherent to, to the Phillips curve analysis, which says that the way to get down inflation is to ra raise unemployment. Because when you raise unemployment, People stop buying things. Business stop investing in things. Right. And that that crap that crash of demand winds up leading to lower prices because businesses, you know, if people aren't buying, businesses have to lower their prices for to you know, sell, to the get, to sell their inventory. And if businesses stop investing, that's also going to lower prices. Um, but we're sort of at the dead end of that because there's been so much money printed in the last, well, two and a half years in particular, but even just since 2008, when Bernanke brought out the, what he called helicopter money. Uh, and helicopter money is just a, a metaphor that he used to say, 
we can print as much money as we want and just drop it out of the sky and that'll stop the depression from happening. And the Fed has been printing money and monetizing debt and encouraging banks to print more debt, print more money or create more money, not print more money uh, since 2008. And we're now sort of at the dead end of that because inflation is still stubbornly high. And, in, and the projections are that, in, that the rise in interest rates is going to lead to large unemployment next year. And that's what you're, that's what you're hearing. I think Ed Powell is exactly right. 175,000 is a gigantic underestimate of what it's going to be. Um, and I think that the Fed wants it to be bigger. Um, you know, we talked, I think it was either last week or the week before, the, the real solution, you know, the thing that drives the Fed to, to print money and, and create more money is all the government spending that's going on. And the, if they want to crush demand, what the Fed should be doing is going to Congress every six months the way it does, or however often they go, they're going to go, and, and demand that Congress stop spending so much money. It's government spending demand that should be cut, that should be crushed. But because the, the Fed won't tell them to do that, and because the government won't stop spending, the only other alternative that, they that the Fed has to try and bat down inflation is to crush private demand. And that's what they're doing. And they're doing it consciously, intentionally. And they keep saying it, even as the stock market goes down. Um, and you know, there are people that are demanding that the Fed pivot, which, which just means stop raising rates and start lowering rates again. Uh, they're, they're not about to do it. They're intent on continuing until something breaks. They're trying to break something. And we don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but something is going to break, whether it's domestic they claim that they want a quote unquote soft landing. Um, they've never got one in the past and they aren't going to get one now. That's for sure. Howell but, actually just recently admitted that it, the, pro, the possibility of a soft landing is, is pretty remote. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they, he knows that, that it's going to be a hard landing and, and he's OK with that. And they're saying that they're doing it because. They're putting their inflation mandate ahead of their employment mandate, which is fine, but that's what's going on. All right. Issues that we haven't spoken about. Daniel, I'll let you go first since it's very late by you. Uh, well, you put me on the spot there because, uh, you know, once we've peaked with Kanye, uh, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> 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 but um, no, I, I, I mean, um, I was just going to say in, in relation to the, the economic stuff that, um, you know, there might be a sense in which, you know, they want destruction, but they're, they're also constrained by uh, what's happened for decades before, uh, which is that, you know, the, the, um, the, the parties that increase spending are the parties that get into power. Um, you know, and, and the more that they've, the public themselves don't, don't have a thirst for sp spending by government to be restrained. Um, Nobody's you know, willing to make the case for it. Yeah. Uh, well, but the, the thing is, I mean, we, we've just had a, you know, a, a prime minister come in who uh, did a mini budget, which was a supply side budget with, um, you know, a 1% a tax change. 
And uh, everybody howled about it. You know, the financial institutions howled about it, but the public howled about it as well. And everyone said that, uh, you know, a very minor tax cut, which is beneficial and which, you know, people like us would support, were, was crazy. The, you know, the most ludicrous thing you could possibly do. Um, well, because she also asked for greater spending. Yeah, but that, that's the, that, I was going to go on to say that, you know, that, that she won't restrain spending um, because they're terrified of doing so, I think. I think the really fascinating thing about the, what the Fed is doing, for me anyway, the, the, the big question I have is they're clearly trying to break something. Are they, are they working on behalf of the WEF people and trying to coordinate a crash together with What's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in domestic cities in America? Are they are they part of the WEF crowd, or are they trying to break the British pound, the euro, and and they're trying to oppose WEF? And it's not clear to me which side of that battle they're on. Um, I've long thought that they were on the side of the WEF people, uh, but I think that there's an argument to be made that they are trying to insulate the U.S. From yeah, they're trying to defend the dollar. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. I, I don't think there's I, I don't think there's necessarily um, anything more nefarious now than there was before, right? I mean, they they have their own institutional interests, and you know, letting the dollar hyperinflate is definitely against their institutional interests. Yeah, but if you look at what's been going on, though. They're way beyond defending the dollar. The dollar has appreciated against every other currency other than the ruble by a tremendous amount. And the, the British pound and the Japanese yen and the euro, well, the British pound and the Japanese yen have faced severe, real almost crises in the last couple of months. The euro isn't, hasn't been in a crisis, but it's fallen precipitously and it's now below, par uh, no, the pound. I forget. Pound the is one, the power. pound is one eleven, and the euro is ninety seven cents. Right, right, right. Okay. So, um, I mean, if yeah. they're if they're trying to defend the dollar, there's nothing to defend right now. Not not that I'm opposed to what they're doing, or that I think that it's necessarily stupid. I think a strong currency is in the country's national interest, but I don't think that explains what they're doing because they have. If defending the dollar was their mission, they could say mission accomplished, no problem, right now. They're all looking to bring in a digital currency as well, though, aren't they? And, and you know, that factors in. Uh, they're, they're looking to move everybody over to a digital currency. That's the plan. They are. They have a problem in the United States. I think in Europe, it would be less a problem, although maybe not because of all of the new uh, migrants. But uh, in the United States, there's like a quarter of the population who are, quote unquote, unbanked. And they just don't do banks. And uh, a lot of those are recent immigrants. And, um, you know, I, they're not necessarily criminals, although criminals are unbanked too, but um, they just, they're not doing it. And if they, uh, if the United States goes to 100% digital currency, these people will find something else to trade, whether it's, you know, pesos or. I think um, also culturally, we have more of a respect for privacy here. Yeah, the respect for privacy is being eroded, but there's still a significant part of the population that wants privacy. To say they want to say that the globalists want a digital currency um, and and one that is tied to like SDRs instead of 
the dollar, you know, basket of currencies. Um, well, that's absolutely true. Whether they're going to get it, I don't think they're going to get it. But um, it's certainly true that that's what they want. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Uh, I have a couple of things. I think some of the COVID news this past week, I think, has been notable. I don't know that we need to dwell on it so much. But um, number one, there's one of the heroes of the week is the Florida Surgeon General for coming out and telling young males not to get the shot anymore. Yes, yes. That was mine too. Yeah, there was a, a study that came out about the negative effectiveness of the shot after a certain period of time. I think, um, you know, that may not be new. But as I mentioned in our back channel conversations, I think it's good that any of this stuff starts to drip out there. And basically what that means is that if you are vaccinated, there's more of a chance of you getting infected if you didn't get vaccinated after a matter of weeks or months. And the other big news of the week was the Pfizer executive basically admitting that they knew that you could get the shot and still spread the disease. And when you put that in the context of everything that's happened, people having a gun pointed at their head to take the jab or lose their job, et cetera. The length of the- Why did they not disclose that, Mike? Because it was the speed of science, the speed of science. Money, I mean, Alex Berenson just had a post on Substack (laughs) talking about all the money that they're raking in after all this. Fauci raked in the dough. I mean, (laughs) listen, these people should be in a cell in Guantanamo. I'm sorry, in a, a cell in DC where the J6ers are after everything that, they, that they've done. So that was one of my major things. Twitter banned the um, Surgeon General of Florida. Yes. Um, they let him back, let him back. And then they let him back. Um, mm-hmm. What's his name, Lepido? Lepido? Uh, Ladapo. Yeah. Ladapo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently Berenson is, is kicked off again too. Yeah, I think that's not going to, I think they um, are not going to be uh, uh very happy kicking Berenson off again because I yeah. think they have a, a settlement agreement that says they won't do that. <laughs> Who knows what it says though? But mm-hmm. and there was, uh, there was real, one other piece of COVID ahead. news that you did, that you forgot to include there. Mike. I forgot that one. Was, yeah, that was the the revelation of the coordinated propaganda effort that the U.S. government engaged in to conv- to convince everybody to take the shots and that the shots were helpful. And that it went through all sorts of entertainment, celebrities, media, educational right. organizations, pretty much anywhere you turned and saw a message that was pro-COVID, it was it was because government was paying somebody to say it. And that was a big part of the story to me, too. Yep. Uh, and then that they also coordinated with the social media companies to silence anybody and, and kick anybody off social media that offered a dissenting view. Um uh, that was that was equally outrageous to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, Tulsi Gabbard to me is a hero of the week. I mean, mm-hmm. it's e- easier to cherish somebody else getting off the train, as Ed P likes to say. But, um, you know, I think Tucker did a long uh, segment on it last night at the beginning of his show, and he couldn't have said it better than I could, praising her for her bravery and saying things that Republicans should be saying and somehow. Her 30-minute video, not the three-minute one, but the 30-minute video, which is her podcast, uh, is is definitely worth uh, listening to um, from the standpoint of a politician saying things that uh, I think we all mostly agree with. That that really hit hit a home run. 
Um, it's a, it's I don't know if you guys follow Derek Hunter at all, but he poured a lot of cold water on this and said, let's wait and see because she's still a liberal and don't go as gaga for her as we have. So that remains to be seen, even though she did watch the Super Bowl with our fearless leader. And even though she is going to New Hampshire to campaign for Don Bolduck, who supposedly is a strong her, Republican who folded on election fraud. But anyway. Isn't rejecting her that like this, this kind of... Um, uh, purist idiocy, really. No, not but rejecting because, her, but is she really uh, the second coming? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's Daniel. smart, she's articulate, she's good-looking, and she's defecting from evil. So I think those are all things to praise. Um, and, right. and you know, everything she said was so on the nail. It but is she just, the second coming? I agree with you. But is she, you know, Joan of Arc? Everything she said was was... Hit the nail um, on the head, Daniel. And, and you know, I want to. You had a post about a, a maybe a, a couple of days or maybe a week ago about Kanye. Yeah. You were you were hitting people over the head who were who were rejecting Kanye, and you were saying, you know, when a billionaire tries to, comes out in favor of the left, they milk them, and and they they say, oh, feed me and and take me, you know, I'll take your money and we'll carry your message all the way to the goal line, or however you you said it much more articulately than I remember, but. And likewise, earlier in this show, you mentioned the same thing about Kanye here. You know, he's a billionaire. You know, we should embrace him. And, you know, you know, he's on our team and we should use him for whatever, you know, the way the left would use him. Yeah. And, and we should, you know, because um, yeah. we're very, very naive politically on, on these things where it's the direction of travel that matters. If they're traveling towards us, then welcome them. If they're already inside and betraying us, then kick them out. You know, that, I, that's how you that's how you figure it out. And I, with Kanye, it's morally difficult because I hate the anti-Jewish stuff. But mm-hmm. um, we could still be smart about that and say, well, he's been red pilled on the stuff about anti-white racism. Why can't we red pill him on the anti-Jewish stuff as well? Because he's not. I, I like what you're saying. And, I, and I'm I not only am sympathetic, I, I, I tend to be willing to give Tulsi Gabbard a chance. But at the same time, I think that, you know, to offer a contrary view, in some ways, she reminds me a little bit of, of Trump and the way I've described Trump. I don't think Trump was ever a conservative. I think Trump was a smart businessman who took a look at the political market and saw that conservatives was a market that was not being served. And as a smart, good entrepreneur, he came in and said, I'm going to serve that market. I'm going to tell them what they want to hear, and I'm not just going to talk. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up at the pro-life rally. I'm going to talk about family and you know all sorts of things that have been against everything that he's ever been. He's been divorced three times. He's slept with women. He's but he came out and did all sorts of things that the that the conservative people wanted to the conservative voters wanted to hear and wanted to see done, and they they've rallied behind him. And I think Tulsi, there's there's a part of me that thinks. Tulsi's doing the same thing for the for the Democrat side that that wants to get off the crazy train that Ed likes to talk about, Ed, Ed P likes to talk about. And I think that there's a lot of genuineness in what she's saying. I'm not questioning her sincerity. Uh, and, and in fact, I probably question Trump's sincerity a little more than hers. Uh, but she the reality is she's still a Bernie Sanders liberal on economics. And I think that it remains to be seen, you know, what she's going to do and you know what her movement, if she starts one, is gonna is gonna be for. Um, so and she didn't she didn't morph into a conservative, but she 
at least showing some sense. I, I swear, though, I mean, you listen to that uh, 30-minute thing she did yesterday. I mean, Tulsi has never been, for instance, in favor of uh, gun rights. And she came out strongly in favor of gun rights yesterday. Now, whether that's pandering, whether she's changed her mind. I mean, I know people who've changed their minds on the gun issue. Tim Poole obviously changed his mind when I first started listening a few years ago. He was anti-gun and now he's like, let's just say that I have firsthand knowledge of how pro-gun <laughs> Tim Poole is. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, 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 she could be like angling for something, but on the other I hand, mean, she's so just pandering, pandering to who though, unless she wants to, you know, fully become a Republican, you know, I mean, Trump may have read the tea leaves and, and you know, exploited it, but what, who, might be trying what to, she do? It, it almost doesn't matter though, does it? Does it, you know, do their intentions or, or sincerity actually matter if they promote policies that we want, you know, and, and if they, if they give us wins? You know, if they're giving us some wins, then then we should use them. Uh, obviously, I think if from a from a career perspective, she's angling for a position in in a future Republican administration. I think that would be a, a good idea to put her there. Now, I think she's probably angling for Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense. I don't think she's going to make that. But, but she's not exactly towing the Republican line on on foreign wars. I, I'm thinking that she might be more interested in trying to set up a democratic version of Trump's populism. I think that she's trying to cultivate a new movement in that direction. I don't see a faction for that in the Democratic Party. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that either. I mean, there is a sort of mercurial mercurial um, point. You're going. Bye, Gina. <laughs> Bye, Gina. Bye, Gina. Bye, Gina. Uh, of like Ron Paul's run for the presidency. Obviously there's no chance Ron Paul was ever going to get the nomination. Um, and in fact, when he did so well, I mean, relatively well for, a, a, they wouldn't even let him speak at the convention. So I, I think that, um, I, I think that uh, there is something mercurial about going out and, and trying to win something that you can't win. I think there's a bunch of Republicans names, uh, you know, Pence, Pompeo, uh, you know, Kasich again, things are thinking about 24. It's ridiculous. They're, they're, I'll say this. Yeah, I'll say this in, in her favor. She said things, and, and I think Tucker said this, she said things that Republicans won't say. And, and she, and she said them on the kinds of cultural issues that Republicans are deathly afraid of raising. The anti-white racism, you know, just yeah. right off the mark. It's about the first line of what she was saying. Right. And, uh, and she that, hit that straight away. Just as politics is downstream of culture, so too is economics. And if she's going to go after the more fundamental problems, I, I might be willing to overlook some of her economic positions because the truth is we need the right to life first before we need the right to trade. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day on the phone and um, you know, obviously, you know, I came out of the Ayn Rand objectivist sort of way of thinking about things, and I was a pretty staunch objectivist. And, and you know, um, Ayn Rand wrote this article, America's persecuted minority big business, right? And that was, that was kind of, that's the, the way the Rand 
people uh, think of things. And then, um, you know, I worked for many years for a company that was a great company, but it went from 12 employees to 40,000 employees um, from its founder. And I thought, yeah, it's, yeah, biz, big business is great. And then it went uh, pub, then he retired and went public and they hired some loser and, and everything changed. And I eventually got out, started my own company. But the, the issue is in that sort of 10 years that I was, that company was run by, you know, the, the, the standard cookie cutter CEO, I realized that, wow, big companies can, you know, big business can go wrong badly and very fast. And then now you add in the 2015 to the present when I, I was running my own company, but I can look, look out like, yeah, big business is not necessarily your friend. And there are real issues with the oligarchy, the, the big business, big government oligarchy that, that runs the country. And, uh, a full discussion of Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged is beyond the scope of this show, but anyone who's read Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged and doesn't understand that, you know, Jim Taggart and and uh, Oren Boyle and some of these other big business cronies that were involved, that were characters in that book, show that Ayn Rand didn't think that big business was our best friend. Yeah. Some well, I mean, not, not when she was writing that. She did write this persecuted minority, you know, decades later. The the issue, I guess, is that um, there are certain there are certain things where, as Kurt Schlichter said, you know, if your principles mean I have less freedom, then your principles are wrong. And so I, I think the idea that that, oh, well, we can't use antitrust laws against, you know, these big businesses who are our enemies and are trying to kill us and stifle us. Um, because that would be anti-libertarian. I, I, you know, I, I agree with Kurt. If, if that's your principle, then your principle is wrong. So um, that I think is what dif differentiates 2022 Ed from, say, 2002 Ed. You know, uh, as far as uh, the libertarian, you know, libertarian principles or objectivist principles or whatever is. I if if I, I see these people as trying, you know, to kill us and destroy our way of life, then yes, I am going to advocate to use any legal means that are disposable, including antitrust laws, which have it's very- like, um, It's like, you know, that it's again, it's a form of purism, isn't it? And it's, you know, those people who are like, I'm not going to pick up that knife to defend myself in a life mm -hmm. and death situation because it was made by the government. You know, right. you, you've still got to use what's there. Well, I want to um, go- we got to cut to the end here, and I haven't done my my you know topic, and that is that the judge in New York allowed um, uh, polyamorous relationships to be legal. He declared polyamorous relationships to be legal, and so I wanted to propose to all of you um, that we all <laughs> we all stop right there, right? Stop right there. Now, I, I know it's less attractive now that Gina has gone because she's like, <laughs> ouch. She's the only one of us who is at all attractive. But I think if we have one giant, giant family, it might be advantageous for tax purposes. So I <laughs> wanted to propose to all of you during this. And uh, and then as, the long second... as, I can, as long as I can use all your bank accounts, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second thing, speaking of bank accounts, the second thing that's pretty funny. I mean, I guess it's, it's not funny, but uh, a jury uh, just returned a judgment of a billion dollars against Alex Jones for, for saying mean things. 
and um, you know, obviously, doesn't have a billion dollars. Um, and I, I wonder, like, what I, you know, I wonder what they were thinking, um, and and how far this, you know, the appeals are going to go because he's going to run out of money soon because you know he has to put up a bond for a billion dollars to start appealing. So I don't know how he's going to do that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, it's a huge miscarriage of justice. Um, the fact that you can, uh, you know, you can spout conspiracy theories on online uh, is perfectly protected under the First Amendment. And Jones is being targeted, not for his semi-stupid statements on um, Sandy Hook, but uh, because he's someone they can't control. So. I mean, you think they're going to get a billion dollars from 9-11 truthers? <laughs> they're going to get as much as as uh, Steve Bagonis got from Al Sharpton. You got it. And then real quick, anything? Uh, no, you guys, they covered all the ones that I had in my head. Oh, that's a problem. We're talk about COVID, COVID in Tulsi. COVID in I've, Tulsi. I've got a final Tulsi comment, if it's okay. And I, I, I saved this sexist one until it was just as guys left alone. Um, but, you know, Marilyn Monroe comes up to you naked and you're really going to say to her, no, you've slept with Democrats. You know, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the Tulsi analogy I've got. I read, a, I, I just read the, you know, the PT 109 book um, about John Kennedy uh, and, you know, okay. Do I agree with every one of his policies? No, I don't. But I mean, my God, compared to Joe Biden or Barack Obama, uh, John Kennedy is a giant, you know, I mean, it's a <laughs> personal bravery. Um, you know, he's, he's all constant pain because his, his back injury, taking all these drugs. And yet, you know, I mean, I, he, he's a giant compared to the modern Democrats. Uh, if, if he were alive today, the Democratic Party would cancel him. He would be canceled. <laughs> okay, folks, I'm going right. to share my screen for one minute to prove our bona fides. Everybody knows who that is. Ah, it's Tulsi. <laughs> that is Tulsi that. with our fearless leader and his wife. Either she's but, tall or Alu is very short. Alu is very short. Kate is shorter, but I, I wasn't kidding when I said she watched the Super Bowl with Alu. He, he's wearing a Ravens shirt, though. We're from Baltimore, dude. Oh, 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 you're originally from Baltimore. <laughs> That's right. And my kids are, will always hate Pittsburgh, whether they always love Baltimore or not. With that, <laughs> we, That's we where I went to school. <laughs> what's, oh, there we go. We wish everyone a wonderful evening. We'll be back next week, regular time. And thank you very, very much. Please send feedback to Conservatarian Exchange, the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Have a good night.